Uh, We're finishing up Zechariah. We're in the final chapter, chapter 14. I'm going to be keeping in mind the whole chapter of Zechariah 14, but only reading the last two verses. Uh, But if you keep your Bibles open, I will be referring back a bit to what's going on in the first part of the chapter. But our focus in our text is Zechariah 14, uh, verses 20 and 21. Zechariah 14, beginning at verse 20. This is God's holy and infallible word. On that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord Almighty, and all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord Almighty. And that Canaanite is a reference to an example of someone who is unclean. So on that day, there will no longer be anyone unclean in the house of the Lord Almighty. Brothers and sisters, what would you say if you were pressed life is really all about? And I realize there there are lots of ways you could answer that. And the way you answer that, the way you might answer it, it says something about your focus in life. It will say something about what you value in life. It says something about the types of decisions you're going to make in this year ahead. The big decisions, uh, personal, family, little decisions. One movie character's mama famously told him, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And that's a really rosy way of saying that life is a series of unexpected events and your job is to just go with the flow. That's one thing you could say life is like, what it's about. I doubt we would openly say life is all about making money, but I tell you what, people can sure spend an awful lot of energy and worry and thinking and time to try to ensure financial security for themselves, for their future, for their loved ones. Some folks might say life is about family. And of course, that's not so bad an answer. That's not a bad focus to have. Family should be very dear to us, but it's certainly not to be our highest priority. It's not our highest focus As a believer, looking to God's word as our final authority, we might say our highest priority should be loving others as Jesus loved us, giving glory to God alone. And now we're getting closer to what life is all about. The final chapter in Zechariah and many other places in Scripture would lead us to say that life is all about holiness which is intimately related to loving others. It's very closely related to giving God glory. Holiness. The final vision in Zechariah is a vision of the inscription, holy to the Lord everywhere. 
Why is this? Why do we get this? And what is holiness even? And what does it mean for our lives if it's somehow to be our guiding purpose? We're going to think about this a little bit this morning. We're going to see the priority of holiness in three big ways as we move ahead. First, we see the holiness of God manifested in history. A number of people see the second half of Zechariah, chapters 7 through 14, these prophecies that are after those interesting night visions of chapters 1 through 6. They see 7 through our chapter 14 as moving us steadily forward in history. We start with Zechariah's day and what was going on there, the rebuilding of the temple, the restoration of Jerusalem by the remnant who came back after the exile, and then we move forward to a prophecy some years later, uh, which we think chapter 9 is about, of Alexander the Great conquering and Greece coming to power. Then we're given a, a, a picture in chapter 11, years later, of the good shepherd Jesus the promised leader of God who would arrive in Israel, but we see that his people would reject him, of how he'd be pierced for our transgressions and that everyone who turns to Jesus will be cleansed and saved. And then this very last chapter of the book seems to take us farther down the road of history to the very end of time to when Jesus returns. Our verse starts with on that day. And we get a lot of that in the last few chapters. Talk of that day, the day of the Lord. And that refers to the Lord's coming. He will come again one day at the end of time. But we also know he has already come to establish his kingdom. Jesus was born and he lived and he died. He rose again. His spirit is sent out. And and so like we have more often in biblical prophecies, this talk of the day of the Lord, it can mean and refer to more than one thing. The day is still coming, but we can also say it's today because Jesus has come. He reigns The Spirit is empowering us, the people of God, to accomplish the mission of the church, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to invite people to enter the kingdom of God by bowing their knee to King Jesus. And so everything in chapter 14 will happen in an ultimate way, but it's already happening too. We read there, and this is the part I said we we didn't read beforehand, but We read about struggle and suffering and persecution of God's people in verses 1 and 2. But, verses 3 through 5, God will come and rescue his people. Because our God is a holy God, he is going to make things right. He'll punish his enemies, do away with all that isn't holy, verses 12 through 15. And when we hear that, it's a a great comfort to us as God's people. He's going to take care of things. He will see you through. He won't let you go. 
He'll judge wrongdoers. We see sin and evil and injustice around us and and we worry about that. We agonize about that. We judge others. We, We don't need to do that. God sees it too. And he is the judge. He's got a plan. He's taking care of it. God's righteous cause will prevail. We read in verses 6 through 11 how the city of God, and that's the church, the city of God will be raised up. And though it can seem small in the world's eyes, the church is of foremost importance in God's plan for history. We read that living waters are pouring out from it continually in verse 8. The gospel, the Holy Spirit, to bless the nations, to bless those around us. There's a picture in verse 16 of everyone going up to worship the King, our Lord Almighty. The Feast of Tabernacles is mentioned there because that feast in Israel was a celebration of God's saving work. And indeed, we worship the King for his great work of redemption, which he accomplished. And one day in glory, God's word says, every knee will bow. All of that. And then our verses give an an unexpected conclusion. What else could we say? God reigns. There's evil but he's going to take care of it all. The church will prevail. It's blessing the nations. Well, there is something more we can read. We read, holy to the Lord is written everywhere. It's leading all of this. It's leading to this. So somehow, the culmination of history, and you know history is his story. God's great historical and cosmic plan, the culmination of it all somehow is holiness. It's holiness. Secondly, this morning, we see the priority of the holiness of God's people in Jesus Christ. In God's plan, too, there's something central about holiness for us. God's holiness is shown in the great historical sweep of all of history, especially through you and through me, through him making his people holy. Ephesians 5.27 tells us that the church is being presented to God in splendor without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. Ephesians 1.4, talking about the big picture in God's plan, says... God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And it doesn't end there. There's a purpose. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. This is why God created the world. This is why He put history in motion and continues to guide it to its conclusion to glorify himself in Jesus by making for himself a holy people. And God accomplished this purpose through sending Jesus to make atonement 
for our sins on the cross. The sacrifice of his blood, the Bible tells us, cleanses us from sin so that there is holiness for all who believe in Jesus, all who call on him in their need. This is God's great goal for you. We can think a great goal for our life for this year is, is if only we'd be happy, if only we'd be, feel secure and have comfort. And definitely in Jesus, the Bible says there's joy, there's eternal security, and there's that blessed assurance there's something else, almost more central to our living in a sense, and it's our holiness in Jesus Christ. That is our highest calling and purpose. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You know what sanctification means? It means to become holy, just to be like Jesus. 1 John 3.3 Everyone who hopes in him, so everyone who's looking to Jesus, looking ahead to that great hope, glory in heaven, everyone who has the hope of Jesus purifies himself as he is pure. The Bible says God has made us holy in a very real sense and we strive for holiness at the same time. Philippians 2 urges this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We can't do anything to be saved, but we can work out our salvation. In fact, it's commanded. In other words, make holiness your goal. Someone said once, it's not necessary that we be great or rich in the world, but it is necessary that we be holy. Strength, health, friends, liberty, life are not absolutely necessary, says this person. But holiness is. So what's your favorite thing in life? What gets you going? Why do you make the decisions you do with your time, with your gifts and talents, with, with your money and all the resources you have? One of our favorite um, Christmas movies as a family is Elf. And I've talked to a lot of people that, for a lot of people, that's pretty high up there. Buddy the Elf. Uh, there's one point in the movie where he kind of annoys the manager at the department store when he, he's so happy all the time and he's singing and he's saying, he says, smiling, that's my favorite. Smiling's my favorite. And the manager says, no, make work your favorite. Work is your new favorite. Well, for the Christian, holiness, it's our favorite. Becoming like Jesus through the renewing of our minds and hearts, through God's Word and through the power of His Spirit. Make holiness your new favorite, friends, if it isn't already. This is God's great goal for you and for me. 
But there's still more. Holiness doesn't end with God's holiness manifested in the great sweep of history, and it doesn't stop with us, his people, striving to be holy in our hearts and lives. Life is about holiness because of the holiness of our God, the holiness of his people, and also because in God's plan, holiness extends to all things. And that's where verses uh, 20 and 21 in Zechariah bring us. With God's coming, holy to the Lord is inscribed on the bells of the horses, the cooking pots. Every pot in Jerusalem will be holy to the Lord. In the past, for the people of God in Zechariah's day, they would know, have known holy is holy to the Lord inscribed on the garment of the high priest in the temple. A most holy, special place where really none of the people could ever go. None of the people ever really saw this. But now, holiness, holy to the Lord, is everywhere. It's everywhere. Now, who in the world would call a pot holy? And, and why? And why? Why would you do that? Well, God calls a pot holy to the Lord. And he does it because he is that great. His rule reaches to that extent. He is sovereign, we say often. Sovereign means rules over everything. Not only over the church and over our lives, and history and the whole universe, but that means it's down to every little thing. Every square inch of creation, as it's put sometimes. God created all things good and holy in the beginning, and and the fall into sin didn't just impact people's hearts, but everything. And so God's plan is to restore All things to himself, not just some things. Revelation 21 talks about heaven and says no unclean thing will be there. In other words, everything will be made holy. In Zechariah's day, the temple that was being rebuilt was the holy place. But God's giving a vision for the future of how because of the coming of Jesus, all things will be made holy. It won't just be in one place. Brother Lawrence was a monk uh, many centuries ago who worked in the kitchen of a monastery. So he didn't get the most glamorous of, of jobs. He wasn't like copying down you know, copies of the Bible or singing hymns all day. He, he had to work in the kitchen. And this passage in Zechariah really struck him, and it meant a lot to him in his life. And he understood it as meaning that all of life is holy, all of life is sacred, not just uh, his prayer time, not just reading his Bible, but his everyday work in the kitchen too. And it's true. All that we are is to be set apart for God. And that's what holy means, set apart. This is the prayer that's attributed to Brother Lawrence. It's a prayer 
that holiness be part of our whole life. This is what he prayed. Lord of all pots and pans and things, since I've no time to be a great saint by doing lovely things or watching late with thee or dreaming in the dawnlight or storming heaven's gates, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Warm all the kitchen with thy love and light it with thy peace. Forgive me for all my worrying and make my grumbling cease. Thou who didst love to give men food in room or by sea, accept the service that I do. I do it unto thee. So, for those who spend a lot of time with pots and pans and plates and silverware and maybe even worse, laundry and cleaning bathrooms, because of the complete sovereignty of God, holy to the Lord is written on those things. God says those pots are important. We serve him through those things too. And if the pots are important, if the holiness of God extends to them, then it does everywhere. Whatever work we do, for a Christian is a holy work. If holy to the Lord's written on a pot, it's written on the truck you're driving, the form you're filling out, the nail you're hammering, the numbers you're adding up, the picture you're painting, the floor you're scrubbing, the idea you're thinking, and the test students you're taking. Holiness extends to our world and society. It means a believer striving to be holy, cares about a fair judicial system for all members of society. We care about fair wages for workers, racial equality. We care about world hunger. We care whether our leaders put a priority on the least of these in our society and all around the world because our nation has great influence. We care about human beings who are in the womb, who are in prison, care about refugees, those under persecution, and orphans. As Christians, we sometimes put uh, bumper stickers like uh, on the back of our car indicating that, that we're Christians. Um, like we, Sarah on the van has one of those uh, Christian fish, and that does it. Or maybe a sticker, Jesus is Lord, or, or got Jesus, I've seen that. That's an indicator that we love the Lord, but Holiness to all things means, guess what? Not just the people driving in those cars like Jesus, but it means we care about how the car we're driving was made. We care about the labor conditions surrounding. We care about a car maker pulling a fast one on emission standards. Jesus says, that's mine. Fix it. It's not right. It's unjust. God claims politics and business the food and drink we put in our bodies and how much of it, health care, science, entertainment, education, the arts and music, home and school, this is what holy to the Lord on the pots and the pans means. All of life is all about holiness. Paul says in Romans 12, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And so, as we conclude this book, do you see what Zechariah sees? He sees a new heavens and a new earth where every square inch belongs to the Lord. He sees us as God's dearly loved people, made holy, living holy lives in our hearts and in our homes and in this church and out there, everywhere in all that we do, claiming it all for Jesus, not perfectly by any means, but we make it our goal. And we submit to his word. We seek the power of the Spirit for help. We encourage one another in that goal for holiness. We build up the church together. We worship together. We hear God's word together to turn again to Jesus for forgiveness when we fail, for grace, and to be set again on that path of serving him in everything we do, literally everything we do. And so with our holy God's help and power, holiness becomes our purpose and our focus. It's our favorite. That's what's behind what we do with the time that we've got left on this earth. Isn't that kind of an overly lofty goal? Isn't that a lofty goal? Isn't that higher than we sometimes aim? You know what? You bet it is. But that's the mission. We're not here as God's people to trudge along in the mud in our lives, but to soar like eagles for our Lord, to soar like eagles for Jesus, to show people in everything we do our great God and His glorious and holy ways that are not of this world, but they're truly holy, set apart. So let's do it. The holiness of our great God the holiness of each one of us as his children, and the holiness of all things for Jesus' sake, for God's glory, and for the salvation of so many people who need the Lord, including each one of us.